Hello and welcome to the podcast Sport and Life. I hope you're well. Thank you for hitting on the button. Stay tuned for a really fascinating conversation with Ben Wilkinson, rugby player turned osteopath near to me in Cheltenham. First and foremost though, thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, Jason Briggs and his fine team who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out the beautiful store in the Montpellier here in Cheltenham in the courtyard there or look for Serene AV online. Also pleased to announce that Sport and Life has partnered with Herring Shoes, an English family-run shoemaking business which Richard Herring started in 1966, specialising in handmade classic shoes like Oxford's and Brogue's. And you can get a 10% discount with the podcast, very pleased to say, at herringshoes.co.uk. Discount code is TED10. T-E-D, all capital letters, the numerals one zero, and applies to all full-price shoes over £20. Remember, if you're looking to optimise your immunity, the association the podcast has with Cytoplan, food-based supplement company, and we've been taking their supplements for 20-plus years. If you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, and at checkout, enter the discount code DRAPER10R. So my surname, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, numerals one zero and the capital letter R. You get 30% off your first purchase with that one, 10% ongoing. Also remember the free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey of the Whole Man Academy via the link in the show notes. But now on to the podcast with Ben Wilkinson, a fine chap, his twin brother and he, Dan, have set up this Origin Health Clinic up in Elkstone. Beautiful setup just between Cheltenham and Sirencester here in the west of England. And it's a fantastic place. I've been for an osteopathic treatment with uh, Ben, and uh, it was it was really cool, actually, really cool. A very fascinating guy. Let's uh, introduce him now. Then the one and only Ben Wilkinson here on Sport and Life. Ben Wilkinson, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you, Teddy. Very well. Looking thank you for coming. Thank you for coming down, mate. Appreciate it. We'll talk more in osteopathy in, in due course, but is sport and life, so typically try and thread a little bit of sport in there. And you're a former, former rugby player and yachtsman, which I love. Sounds like a kind of Ron Burgundy title, yachtsman. yachtsman. It does, to be fair, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm an osteopath now, um, but yeah, um, I used to play a lot of rugby yeah. um, when I was younger, growing up, district and county stuff. And then I went abroad randomly, sort of, didn't, things didn't work out at university the way I wanted it to. So I started looking into newspapers and I started reading this and it said you can go and work for the rich and famous on their big yachts. So nice. I ran my dad, I was like, well, I'm at university. He's like, yeah, but this sounds quite good. <laughs> so I dropped out of university, went to Yard of White and joined the academy there. Well, how big um, was that at the time? Did it feel nerve wracking to do that? Or I'd did... never yachted in my life. Yeah. So it was very strange. Um, and I was leaving university, I was doing a sports science degree at the time. Which, which uni were you at? Up at Bangor in North oh, okay, Wales. Yeah. It was an outdoor activity one. Yeah. So I was always interested in sport. Yeah. And at the time I was a javelin thrower as well. And anyway, I went to Isle of Wight and I did all my yacht master qualifications. And yeah. eventually I got offered a job on a super yacht. So worked on super yacht for a few years. So were you actually driving the boat or just... Smaller boats I could drive, yeah. but on the super yachts I was a, I was a, a chamois boy, should we say. <laughs> I was a, yeah, I was, I was a deckhand. So yeah, just keeping the boat looking nice and shiny and doing whatever I was told to do really. But in a nice setting, you know, I saw around the world, it was amazing. How cool was that though, the experience? 
Yeah, I was, I think I was 20, no, wow. 1920, and it was amazing. I just saw the world, I saw how the other half live, which was yeah. fantastic. Um, but equally, it was kind of, I was missing my sport back home. Yeah. And also, I was looking, is this the career for me for the rest of my life? So I kind of started thinking about potentially osteopathy because my brother, my twin brother, was in, back in the UK. He was already qualified by that point. Well, going to the end of his training. Dan. Dan, yeah. And um, he said, yeah, it's a great, great career. So you might want to think about if you're going to go back to university, now might be the time. So I finished the season and moved back to the, the UK. And in that time, I got another job down in Limington on a smaller boat. Sort of, and I was saying that boat with the owner, just me. Um, and just uh, you, and, you and the owner living together. Just, pretty much, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was an inch, it was an ex racing driver. Really? Yeah, lovely guy. Um, but yeah, hard work. What Formula One racing? Back or? in the nineteen sixties. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was hilarious. To be what fair. was his name? So it, he raced under a different name, but his name was Grant Eden. Yeah. But he said he raced under a different name. It was a long time ago. He, was, oh, he must be in his eighties now. Wow. Um, but one interesting thing, he told me that he was sponsored by Jurex. So it must have been a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, um, yeah, I, I, once I was down there, I thought I need to meet some friends. So I got back into my rugby again. I mm. uh, played for a team down there in New Milton. And they were okay, you know, not too bad. What position did you play in rugby? I was rugby? playing winger at that time. Oh, cool. Because um, you're a big, big guy. Were you 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six, just under, yeah, 6'4". 6'4 yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was a little bit smaller back then. <laughs> um, but then... Yeah, it was really good fun. I got really back into my rugby then, and I was still waiting to go and do the next enrol for osteopathy. Mm. And I got and I got back into doing some sprinting as well with athletics. And eventually, I actually got a phone call uh, from someone down in Medway in Kent, and they found out I was going to go to study down in Kent to be an osteopath. Yeah. And they also had a, a good rugby team down there. And my brother was playing for Tunbridge at the time. And then I then got offered a trial in Tunbridge Wells. Tunbridge yeah. Wells, yeah, yeah. Tunbridge Judgeons he was playing for. Oh, cool. And then the Medway were just the league below. And I got offered a trial and I got in. So I started playing 15, you know, starting 15 for them whilst I was training alongside being an osteopath. So loving it. But then unfortunately got injured. So yeah, that's when it all came tumbling down. <laughs> the shoulder injury. Yeah. How yeah. Uh, do you, well, how'd you reflect on sport? Because through my career, I've not been able to play as much sport as I would have liked. I played a bit of semi-professional football and that's in a sense a regret. And I look at the, the toll that some of the, the games take on people physically and I think maybe actually I got away a little bit, not heading the ball too much. Do you ever feel like that with, with rugby, that maybe not playing that much wasn't a bad thing when you look at what's, what the sort of news lines are now around head trauma? Yeah, I mean, I've had head traumas from rugby. I've had multiple concussions and I, I, I know the rules are much different now. And I yeah. think it's probably quite good. Tackle height and grassroots, you know, coming down a bit, hopefully will help, you know, protect kids and things from head injuries and you know I've had multiple injuries from it but it's interesting I think you're probably the same Teddy you know you look back at the injuries you've had in sport yeah. but also the enjoyment you got out of it yeah as absolutely well. yeah so and what in the camaraderie what did you sort of get from from that working in a team I suppose the significant character attributes you can build yeah it's almost like every single team you go to as well you still have that camaraderie and it's all similar you know that changing room banter and you sort of you know you're going to war with your friends in a way and then after it you're all having a pint and you and you chill out with the other team as well. It's lovely, and that's sport for you, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I missed, actually, through injury. When you can't do it, that's when it really, really plays in your mind. I mean, you probably found that. Yeah. You know, it's sort of, you miss your mates, you can't really hang out with them, you're not getting that release <laughs> as much as you can. And also, you are holding those injuries. But, yeah. But still, it gives Not you... quite the same jogging on your own or going to the gym on your own. You don't quite... And just dribbling a ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't raise the yourself to the same levels or the same sort of engagement, is it? Definitely not, definitely not. So that's why you sort of try, I try and find other sports that kind of complement. So I row now oh, yeah. with my twin brother. And, and your shoulder's okay for rowing? My shoulder, to be fair, it's one of the sports that really helps my 
my shoulder ah. uh, because it's more linear, it's less impact. But yeah. I also then, because I own a quad, I got the camaraderie. So mm. I kind of get that buzz I used to get from rugby and I get less injuries, which is which is really good. Physically grueling as well, rowing, isn't it? Aerobically, it must be one of the toughest things you can do. Definitely a shot to the system when I start <laughs> training for it. You know, they, they call a, a 5K, you know, two up to two to 5Ks of sprint. And that just sounds pretty Whoa, yeah. odd to call that a sprint when you're doing it and you're almost passing out at the end. So yeah, but it's a really good sport. And it suits you physically as well, like long levers, all that kind Being of stuff. Being lanky helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that though, isn't it? Because I think people, there's a, there's a kind of mantra, you know, you can be what you want to be, but actually when you look at sport, there is an essence of, of working with your natural aptitude as well. You can get, say in basketball, you get the odd point guard like Muggsy Bogues, who's five feet four, but generally they're all six feet six plus in, in basketball. And you know, there, is, there is a sort of a sense that certain body types fit certain sports best and maybe mindsets, IQs suit certain careers best in the, in the real world. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you look at all the different sports, you know, yeah, rowers, I suppose, yeah, generally he's got a lot of people that are very, very tall yeah. and sort of rangy. Like, like basketball and then rug I mean rugby's an interesting one you mm. know rugby you actually get all different sizes yeah you know and when we were when I, I I didn't realize you know when I was playing I used to always think oh these are monsters I can never play to that level and I was playing to a good level yeah and then when we got we got a contract with Gloucester as their osteopaths mm. and met all the guys there and all of a sudden you realize well, some of these guys aren't that much shorter than me <laughs> you know and or much bigger than me mm. or what or heavier than me but there's something different about them like the makeup yeah, but and I think rugby's quite good in the way that you've got like scrum halves that generally are generally are smaller or histo- traditionally smaller. Yeah, and you've already got up to the kind of the Bini Villapolos, you know, which mm. are just huge. Mm. And you've got also all the stuff in between. So it's, it's a physiology good. you can't see with rugby often, isn't it? I suppose it's what their engines like, what their sprints like, the things that that, that change the yeah. dynamic of their position, maybe. Yeah, definitely. A bit like probably like with football, you know, mm. have position specific functionality. Yeah. So you could have. I suppose you could be like a striker, you need to be quick, agile, you know, all that stuff. Whereas a defender, you want to be maybe a bit stronger, all that sort of stuff. Same in, in rugby, you want to be a winger that's strong enough but quick and agile, whereas yeah. you might have a centre that's a bit more bulky, a bit slower, mm. but needs to be able to punch through sort of stuff. So you will train accordingly to that position as well. Well, that seems a big thing in the rugby professional era is just looking at it from afar as the, the sort of, I guess, the enlargement of the backs has been quite dramatic in terms of getting bigger guys heavier hits and things which has been part of the problem with the head trauma isn't it they're now trying to figure out a way around that because that pitch is is pretty small when you've got 15 pros against 15 pros and they're absolutely wide it's hard to run around people people tend to run into each other yeah there's there's not much space on the pitch especially mm. i mean they may maybe they might change the rules at some point i mean you look at rugby league there's a lot more space yeah and they still run into each other yeah yeah because <laughs> the rules come some my dad always complains because he's a sort of avid rugby fan from the amateur days and he's always like, oh, it's a bit like rugby league it's just running into each other and, yeah. yeah but pass the ball a little bit more mm. than rugby league but uh yeah. it's i think i think it's incredible especially yeah, like i said like the size of people getting there now you know that's that's an interesting one and how they're looking at the tackle it used to be the fact that you could tackle a lot higher and mm. that'd be a much more dominant tackle. But then now with the, with the research in you know, head injuries from like NFL, you know, people doing head on head, all mm. that stuff, they've got a, you know, that link causality between maybe like dementia or things like that is, is there may be something in that. And if they can stop that, that'd be brilliant. Yeah. But then that also changes the game, which there's like a moral, you know, the moral issue, but also you've got the purists in rugby that might want to see free flowing rugby Yeah. and someone accidentally does a hit and then that then player then gets sent off you yeah. know for a red card because of all the kind of mitigating sure they're all looking it, it, for those the, mitigating the, the intent wasn't there but it's the way it's interpreted by the the person looking at the tape or yeah. the video referee and also the players they've got you know split second mm. you know you've got someone coming at you and they're, and they're dropping their head low you've got to then go lower 
but then you might then get head on head. So that player then thinks that's then going to do, they might break through the line better. So you know, professional players, they're all trained to be really good at what they do and tackle height and stuff like that. But yeah. I think you've got to be, they've got to, it affects the game, how it looks. Yeah, trying to root it between it as well, because I think there's a, ten, a tendency to say that a lot of contact sports should be outlawed because they're dangerous. But then I, I come back to maybe it's free will. I think you know people who have boxed for a long time have learned about pugilistic dementia, you know, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, it's called now. But actually, that's been a, a long-standing thing that people box. They know there's risks attached to it. For me, I think just broadly, I don't know how you look at it philosophically, philosophically or philosophize on it but I think it's philosophically I should say it's, it's about free will isn't it as well comes into it that you can take that risk but I guess in rugby it's about knowing the risks maybe that's what people are talking about now yeah I think it's like anything if you've got if you've got informed consent I suppose if, mm. that, if there's enough research and they say yeah there is a cause you know causality between all these different things and the head collisions and the players are given that and they say right I am willing to take that risk or I'm not willing to take that risk and that might be the problem I suppose if there's People don't know that they're taking a risk and they're carrying on and they get to the end of like 50 years old, they've got early, you know, dementia. Yeah. I, you know, you'd be, you'd be, you know, you'd wish you'd known, I think. So mm. that, hopefully that's coming through rugby, NFL, and then people then do decide to do it. Yeah. I think there is a, that, that free will with it because people yeah. do enjoy it as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, and you only like, live once and you never know you could, you could get run over by a bus or, or die from some of the sort, you know, it's like you, you will, life will come to an end, not to be too, yeah. too depressive about it. So it's making the most of life as well as being safe. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast earlier on uh, with, you know, Big Jim, Jim Hamilton, and he was interviewing uh, Billy Vinopola mm. and they were talking about the tackle heights and things and, you know, Billy Vinopola, massive guy, <laughs> you know, he has, to, he hits hard. Yeah. And he said, and he was asked, you know, how would you feel about you know, head injuries, knowing what you know now. And he said, I love the game. You know, the, the game's given me everything and I, I am happy to take the risk. Yeah. That's his opinion. And that's They're the informed my, consent. That's know? his, yeah. yeah. So, but then I suppose looking at younger kids, you know, they've got to make sure that grassroots, it needs to be probably a safer mm. position because, you know, you haven't, can't, can't give a 12-year-old a the same level of informed consent. They've got to they have a decision made for them. They need to know it's safe. Yeah. And if your parents, your parents have to think about it to the extent rather than just say, oh, little Bobby wants to play rugby, let's drop him off and you know, every Saturday and actually think about what he might be going through and, and what the long-term impact could be. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I treat a lot of kids as well. So kids that are playing rugby, all different sports really. Yeah. And um, you're seeing the, the physical impacts on these kids' bodies. You know, I've got, I've got a young lad that I treat at the moment. Uh, he's 13 now. I've seen him since he was about eight. Yeah. And he wants to be, wants to be a professional footballer. And mm. um, knowing kind of the injuries that you can get when you're older and that those are the injuries that essentially prevent you from having the career you want yeah. if we can get early on so with him I've looked at strengthening his ankles his knees making sure his ligaments are all good from a really early age and he's really committed and dedicated and he's now he's 13 and he's th yeah 13 he's six foot two Wow. He's so built. is he going to be a defender then? Or? He's a striker. striker. He's a striker. He's a great great kid and he works really hard. And um, But his now physicality is a lot more physical around his you know his teammates. Yeah. Um, but he's actually got the stability because you can have that physicality earlier on but then you come into men's football mm. and you're then all physical. Yeah. But what <clears> I said to him was if you can make yourself in a way and condition your body so you're less likely to get those injuries that will be career ending you'll have a much more fulfilled career and then your skill will, will shine through and he's just carried on and gone strength and strength. 
How important is it working with the athletes, do you think, durability in terms of predicting someone's ability to have an athletic success? Obviously, they need skill, they need hard work, they need raw ingredients like pace and things like that in, mm. in certain sports. But do you think just being able to be resistant to some of the batterings is, is key? Because I remember getting, I get overuse hip injuries and things like that, particularly mm. on hard ground. And Whereas some, some people never seem to get injured, there seems to be a big difference. I think you look at, there must be some genetic involvement within that and how you recover, recovery, mm. you know, your tendons, ligaments, all that sort of stuff. But I think it's also your attitude towards that. You see some professionals that have been very lucky or had a really good career early on and then they have an injury that may not have taken someone out mm. and they've been out, they've had to retire, which has been really sad. So you've got people like Johnny May. Yeah. Johnny May's massive into his recovery. Ollie Thorley, huge into his recovery. Was it you that lived with Johnny or was it Dan? That was my brother. Dan, yeah, Dan, he lived no, in sorry, their basement yeah. for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Johnny and Sophie, lovely, lovely people. <laughs> Sophie works for us as a PT. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really, really kind people. But he's serious about it. I mean, he plays for England on the wing, doesn't he? And he's yeah. into his 30s now. But you were talking to me about the sort of seriousness in which he approaches managing his body. He makes it almost a full-time job outside of training. Yeah, you know, he's, he's really, really independent with his recovery as well. So he will do sort of six hours of recovery a day. Wow. He'll do foam rolling, infrared, uh, hyperbaric chamber, cold therapy, he's really into his nutrition. And you look at where he is now, and he's had some really, really devastating injuries, but he's come back faster mm. and stronger. And looking at other, like, so you look at the academy players, I think they could learn a lot from people like him. And yeah. they can sort of use him as a really good role Start model. Early. Exactly. And, you know, it's great. You have talent, but as you get the high level, they've all got talent. <laughs> so what's going to define you is the fact is longevity and that you need to look after your body. And that's kind of you know, what I do now is trying to get people to look after their body, recover. You know, you're trying to help them recover from an injury, but you also look at prevention, maintenance, and that longevity. We talk more about the osteopathy in just a second, but one thing that's curious when you talk about being a yachtsman working with these super affluent people, I wonder what that taught you about life, well-being, happiness. Were, were they were they happy people? What did you make of that? Oh, this is controversial. Yeah, um, no, I just, I'm just curious because a lot of people haven't had that intimacy with like the super wealthy, yeah, exactly. the oligarchs or whatever on big giant yachts. Yeah, I worked for I worked for a guy that was highly, highly successful, you know, multiple billionaire, uh, mm. really lovely guy. Can't say who he was, but he was a lovely, lovely guy, English guy. Um, and the boat was worth sixty five million pounds, <laughs> and you know, it was amazing places that I saw. Yeah, but I, if I'm honest, I kind of got to a stage where I mean, I love sailing, and I'd love to one day be able to like teach my friends and family to stay or it'd be great and go on nice holidays and things. But they have just the same problems as us, you know, I think, you know, the, the wife's on antidepressants, you know, they've got so much money. Yeah. But their problems are just probably a lot more expensive than us, in a way. <laughs> they have exactly the same sort of problems. Yeah. Um, and it made me then think about my career choice. I was earning really good money from what I did at, you know, 19, 20 year old. But then, Going forward, I thought, I'm not really getting that kind of sense of fulfillment and, and helping mm. people. And that's why I then changed. So I, I thought, yeah, we're, going back to happiness, I think there's definitely more to life than just having... Yeah, because it's supposed to be a level, isn't it? They looked at it empirically that it's supposed to be once you earn over sort of 70,000 pounds or something a year, it's not actually, you're not going to be incrementally getting happier necessarily. There is a sort of level where making life comfortable and people obviously in the cost of living crisis, that's been brought home. But there's a point where chasing more and more doesn't actually make you more content and it's other aspects of your your all-round life yeah i suppose it's a lot of people talking these days about like work-life balance aren't they mm. and um i suppose you know you might you might work 90 hours a week and you earn 200 grand a year yeah but you might not see your family your friends and all that stuff and if that makes you happy that's absolutely fine but if it's not making you happy then maybe you need to look at adjusting your lifestyle and maybe your career yeah to try and hopefully be a bit happier maybe and so, so so why osteopathy for you then because 
Is it because your brother was, was already deep into it? Well, he, he, so my brother inspired me to sort of go back to looking at it. I mean, I, I applied when I was at, you know, at school. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realise at the time, but I was really dyslexic. So really? I didn't get the grades that I wanted to get. I actually didn't find out until the first year of osteopathy that I was dyslexic. So you, were you just reading stuff and not able to retain it? Is that the problem? Yeah, I, I, I just was reading things. I didn't really get, get it. The teachers at school, I didn't really respond well to the way they were teaching it. So, you know, a few, yeah. te- a few teachers call you thick, call you the thick twin. So, really? you, so you start believing teachers it. Teachers actually called you that? Yeah, yeah. Some would be like, oh, you're the thick twin. That's how we tell you apart. And you start what? believing it. You know, that's the, I mean, hopefully I'll teach you a lot better now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not that long ago though, is it? It's only 20 years ago, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, but you'd think that'd be better. Yeah. Um, so I struggled through school massively, um, but I was always interested. I had lots of injuries growing up, doing lots of sport. I saw physios, chiros, osteopaths. I found that osteopaths really helped me because mm. they were very hands-on, very thorough. And my body just responded well to it. So I looked at either a physio or an osteopath. When I was still at school at sixth form, I went on these medical courses where you can sort of try it out when you're yeah. obviously like 17. So I went up to Nottingham, went to a physio one. I thought it was amazing, but for me, it wasn't quite as hands-on. Yeah. So I found osteopathy was really good. So I applied for osteopathy um, and my brother did at the time. Actually, my brother wanted to be a doctor. Sure. Um, and then he thought as a backup, he'll go for osteopathy. And anyway, he just missed out. And so he was going to get there and he got an unconditional offer. He was really good grades, whereas I got a conditional offer. Mm. And I got to a stage and I thought, you know what, do I want to go and spend four years, masters, becoming an osteopath or do I want to have some fun and be interested in sports? So that's why I went to Bangor yes. and did sports science. So yeah, it, wasn't, it didn't come quickly to me. I mean, I qualified five years after my brother. Yeah. But when I came back to it, when I reapplied, it was definitely the, the thing I wanted to do and I wanted to spend the time do the four years, I'd had my fun, done my traveling, it was now time to commit to a career. It's, it's good that it was brave in a way, isn't it? A, to, to change, to decide not to do it at the start, to go to Bangor, but to decide Bangor wasn't right for you. There is quite a, a big sort of self-confidence in there to, to take those moves. A lot of people feel pressure to just get down the, the route, get to uni, get yeah. the job, whereas you actually had that, that foresight to kind of go and think I need to experience a few things first. Yeah, I think at school, I, I don't know about you, but when I was at school, I felt that I had to really pick one career and that's mm. what you're going to do the rest of your life, like become a doctor, a police officer, yeah. you know, or manager or business person, all that sort of well, stuff. Well, it was more common for our parents' generation to do that, wasn't there? There was mm. sort of a company would have you for 50 years, potentially. Yeah, and I think I was looking at and I thought at the, route, at the, at the time, you know, I was trying to do something in sport. I'd love to do that. I was interested in joining the RAF, I wanted mm. to be a pilot. But then looking at things, I, I tried to... You for an RAF pilot or I is that checked? Yeah. yeah, not so good. I mean, my, my, my father-in-law now was a, was a fighter pilot and I really? said, oh, you're the, fault I didn't, you're the fault reason I didn't get in because, you know, you're short and I'm too tall. You should have made the planes bigger. But yeah. um, it kind of, I steered my life towards that, kept sporty, tried to look at life experiences. Um, but yeah, I think it's just kind of, I've not gone from A to B, but how I found osteopathy now, it really, all the other things I've done or well, the injuries I've had, all the sports I've done, I think have given me a really well-rounded knowledge in a better position to sort of help people in my mm. profession now. How, how do you define osteopathy? Do you sort of define, I mean, obviously very hard to define, but mm. is it tissue and bone manipulation? Is that the easiest way to describe it? It's a really, if you Google it, it's quite hard to, to yeah. find definition. And I've sort of been thinking about this quite a lot. And I say as osteopaths, so yeah, we do four years of training and we get an integrated master's within that. And we're medical professionals. We're, yeah. not, we're not medical in the same as a doctor, but we are medically trained. Yeah. So we can refer for MRI scans and things like that. But our main thing is we sort of assess the body. Um, we do the whole body. So mm. all the sort of joints in the body, not just the back. Um, we assess you know, muscle, ligaments, tissues, um, 
tendons, in sports injuries, things like sciatica. But we're taught to kind of accurately assess it and diagnose and then also then treat it. Yeah. And the way that we kind of treat it, a lot of people um, will know us for like clicking. So yeah. we do manipulations where you're taking a joint essentially through a range of movement to try and restore function. Crack, cracking sometimes. The cracking, <laughs> which a lot of people associate with chiropractic. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, but you have, you have to be really trained to do it, but it's a very safe technique, a very effective technique. But there's loads of other techniques we do, like massage, we use um, muscle energy techniques where essentially we're kind of tr almost tricking a muscle to relax by contracting it first. Okay. We're also using um, like rehabilitation techniques, which we use a lot where and we you are. contract the muscle manually with, with hands or with So yeah, with a muscle energy technique, I might essentially take your, say for instance, like your, to release your, your hamstring, mm. I might put your hamstring to a fairly full stretch. Yeah. I then hold it there. You push against me for about yeah. five seconds. Is it called proprioceptive? Yeah, or yeah. Pro proprioceptive neurofacilitation. Yeah. It's a yeah. PNF technique. It's a similar sort of thing. Yeah. So you're contracting, essentially you're contracting your hamstring, then when you relax, you get much more of a relaxation. So I can then increase the range of movement uh, of that okay. muscle. Yeah. So that's quite an effective, quite a gentle technique to do. We also use um, yeah, hands-on gentle adjustments as well, where we're taking a, a joint through a range of movement to hopefully restore that function as well. And everything's all about trying to look at balance, look at alignment, and try and essentially release muscle tissue, reduce inflammation, and also restore function. Difficult, difficult balance in sports people, isn't it? Because typically they're they're one side dominant. Oh yeah, definitely, and also depending on what sport they do. Yeah, you know, we've got you know you see a safe for instance like a I don't know a tennis player or a golf golf player. Oh yeah, you the know, back. yeah, yeah. they'll be, be dominant one way. So you'll try and work on balance as much as you can, but there will be a, a sort of a discrepancy. So you just work the best you can for that sport. So all the people that we see, we've got loads of different sports people we see, as well as the general public, people like desk workers. You know, that's a massive one. Posture. Mm. Mm. You know, especially in COVID, people sat at their desk. Yeah. Probably the, you know. So is it kyphosis, is it? The rounded shoulders? Is that's that the big, the big one? Yeah. Yeah, I sort of call it, you know, desk posture. So mm. if you're working your desk all day, you're getting a bad neck because you're slumped over. And especially in COVID, you probably didn't have an ergonomic setup. <laughs> you know, so I'm seeing a lot of that as well. So it's not always sport, but a lot of it can be sport related. It's a weird dynamic with the sports people, is that you're kind of patching them up, knowing they're going back into to battle to, to put the body under under stress again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're talking about rugby, definitely they're going back to battle. So you try and do the best you can to try and support their recovery. Mm. Um, and it's an odd one because you understand it as well. You sort of understand the fact of what the hits they're going to go into. So you're trying to work as best you can to try and restore them back to the best. They may not be 100%, but you're trying to, your hardest to get them to at least be 80, 90% when they're there. And you want them, it's a long season, so you want them to keep it to keep going as well. When they have osteopathic treatment for, say, a rugby player, do they have to have a period of rest before a game? Because I'm thinking, I think I had chiropractic when I was a kid, I can't remember, but they used to say you couldn't really do stuff while you're getting chiropractic treatment. I don't know if that was the same or whether I've muddled that in my mind or whether there is a sense no. of once you manipulate things, whether you can then go straight back into activity. I think that's uh, people say that a lot. Um, mm. There's a, I'd say to people, my clients, I'd say, you know, ideally give it 24 hours. Mm. I wouldn't want to be doing extensive adjustments or even extensive like sports massage, you yeah. know, within sort of 24 hours before a game. So looking at kind of, I'd ask athletes, whatever sport it is, you know, when have you got a big game coming up or competition? We then need to almost like tailor your program leading up to that. So say if they're going to be treating, say they're competing on a Saturday, on the Monday, I might do a deep tissue sort of um, work, so sports massage and some adjustments. Yeah. Then on the Wednesday, I might then do another sort of maybe some more sports massage. Say if I were treating them three times a week, I don't not always treat people three times a week, not always once a week, but mm. a professional athlete, it would be a lot more. So whereas on like a Friday, I might do like a, 
a deep tissue massage, but not too heavy. So they've got enough time to just kind of almost activation, trying to release things a bit, but not, we shouldn't be breaking down tissue yeah. that needs to rebuild before they train. You want them to be at a peak at that point. It's a fascinating topic, isn't it? Where, where's the interplay between osteopathy, physiotherapy? You mentioned as well being interested in physiotherapy and, and, and other areas like chiropractor as well. I think the main thing is people get very confused yeah. about, I mean, even people in my profession get confused like what is the difference? <laughs> so, because you actually work with physiotherapists as yeah, well yeah, at the practice. So we've got one of the Gloucester um, rugby physios who worked for us on a Wednesday evening, a guy called Aaron Walker, fantastic mm. physio. We met him four years ago. And um, I actually did my dissertation on physios in working alongside osteopaths in private practice because mm. I've always thought there's a really good utilization of using other professionals to help with what we do. So actually being patient-centered, helping the patient get back. Yeah. It doesn't actually always matter what profession it is as long as you work together. And that's what we do at Origin. So, um, but physios predominantly are better at the rehabilitation and sort of exercise-based prescription. Yeah. So they're kind of, I would essentially, as an osteopath, I would get someone back to better health. So I'd work on an injury, try and get them biomechanically better aligned Yeah. and working better and more aligned. And I'd then, then probably pass them on to our physio. Okay. A lot of the time in our profession, they work, everyone works separately. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of professional bashing between professions. And that's generally because people don't understand what each other do, do, does. All three professions are fantastic. Um, osteopaths and chiropractors came from the same origin, so which a lot of people don't know. Is that Andrew Taylor still? still it that's like, it. Is that the, the American Civil War surgeon? He was a yeah. surgeon, yeah, back in African America, and he sort of was treating lots of different things and ailments and resetting bones, and that's mm. kind of where the sort of clicking came from. And then an officer, one of his students, went off and sort of carried on and went sort of more sort of um, doing a chiropractic mm. um, in America, and then the rest of them sort of carried on doing osteopathy. And chiropractors kind of went more evidence-based and then have to be, like in America, osteopaths and chiropractors have to be medical doctors. So undergo basic medical training as well, yeah. But yeah, full-on medical training yeah. and then they specialise, whereas, okay. whereas we just sort of straight off specialise in osteopathy and chiropractic in this country. Yeah. Now, chiropractors and osteopaths get quite sort of confused by <laughs> we do all the clicking and things. However, chiropractors, we've got a similar training, but we, our approach is a bit different. So a chiropractor normally spends about 10, 15 minutes doing a treatment. Yeah. And they will also predominantly look at kind of the neural pathways of what might be causing a problem. So for instance, you might come to me and say, all right, Ben, my, my right shoulder's hurting. Yeah. A chiropractor might look at then like the neck and upper back and look at the neural pathway leading to that shoulder. Okay. Won't particularly look as much at the shoulder and then manipulate your back according to try and cause and effect. Yeah. What I would do is I can look at that and I would look at that, but I'll also look at kind of your elbow, your shoulder in particular, do special tests on your shoulder, spend a lot of time assessing and diagnosing yeah. it, and then use more soft tissue techniques and adjust if I need so to. So osteopathy is what more localized in terms of the, the less kind of overview than, than I, chiropractic? I'd say it's quite, chiropractic predominantly bases on the spine, yeah. whereas osteopathy will look more at the peripheral joints, so like the shoulders, elbows, knees, mm. hips, all that sort of stuff as well as the spine, but also look a little bit more, spend a bit more time on soft tissues, ligaments, tendons, a bit more deep tissue massage, muscle energy technique, like I told you, yeah. and then manipulate. So you probably do less manipulation to cause a bigger effect. We look a bit more holistically around the body, but then but chiropractors are predominantly more spinal in their approach. W would you send someone to a chiropractor, potentially? I, ha I have yeah. done, yeah. There's, yeah. there's a, I've got a friend of mine in Gloucester, he's got a great clinic, um, I've sent people to him. Mm. And also the interesting thing is the approach to that chiropractor or that osteopath. You know, there's, if I believe the approach that that practitioner has is fantastic, works on that, that patient, 
I'm happy to send yeah. it to them. So the guy I, I refer to sometimes, he's fantastic. He spends a great deal of time assessing joints, but he'll do a lot more muscle testing, looking at the neural pathways, say on the shoulder, whereas yeah. I will then do lots of hands-on, real, real intensive treatment on the shoulder. He'll sort of manipulate the spine, but it's still both, both work very well. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that, isn't it, how complementary they are. Would you have like potentially osteopathy and chiropractic at a base and then they could both feed into physiotherapy which could then maybe feed into something like personal training or conditioning mm. in terms of the, the, the line of progression for a client? I think you definitely could do that. Yeah. Um, I think the grey area would be the fact that osteopaths and chiropractors are quite closely linked. Mm. As long as, say for instance in my clinic, if I had a chiropractor that works similarly in the same approach to me, mm. I think that would work quite well. And as long as that referral pathway yeah. to a physio, to a PT, nutritionist, sports therapist was aligned. Mm. I think that'd be really and they give more of a neuromuscular input about what the neurons might be doing as opposed to you might be looking at some of the tendons around say a shoulder and, and, mm. and working on that. That's the interesting thing when it comes into confusion because even having this conversation, it's like, yeah. I understand what I do every day, yeah. but trying to let the public know is, is a bit more difficult. So all the neural stuff, we'll do the muscle tests yeah. and we'll look at like the innovation of a nerve to a shoulder. Okay. But yeah, like I said, the chiropractor would probably look more and spend a lot more time manipulating a lot of areas mm. to make a bigger effect. Whereas, yeah, yeah, we would spend a lot more muscular time doing that sort of stuff. Should people go to an osteopath if they're injured or should they go before they're potentially injured? What do you think? Because Andrew Taylor's still reading about him a little bit, this cat from the 19th century. Okay. He, was, he was kind of against the grain that he was sort of, I guess, one of the, the early protagonists of uh, preventative medicine, wasn't he? He was talking about mm. doing things, getting the body in a state so it's actually robust against illness, injury, Whereas the conventional medicine approach may have been, you know, we're there to fix people when things inevitably go wrong. Mm. I think with most things, I think kind of being preventative rather than reactive is a really, really good way of thinking about it. Yeah. We see a lot of people that are acute that have just injured themselves, but also it's looking at people that maybe have been injured, we've rehabilitated them. And at that point, you want to make sure that they prevent further injuries or different injuries. Mm. And that's when it's really good. And, you know, if you're in good alignment and your body's working well as a whole, you're much less likely for sort of illness, infirmity, or you know, just any general sort of aches and pains, and that's a much better position to be in. So that's where we try and fit in. I heard someone talking about depression recently and pain, and how things like back pain are correlated with depression quite often. Do you ever examine someone and can't find a physiological reason for a pain, and, and, and left scratching your chin a little bit? I don't know whether you've encountered that. I see a lot of it. Um, you mentioned before the podcast, we're talking about so psychosocial, sort mm. of that biopsychosocial model of things. And, and that's obviously where the way that the body's connected to the mental aspects and also your social situations and things. And I might have someone that comes, you know, I've been treated with low back pain, for instance, and I've, everything's really looking really good. The muscles are nice and loose, the joints in the right position, there's no inflammation, they've got full range of movement, but they're still in pain. Mm. And that's the point where you might then think, right, I need to kind of refer now, or they need to speak to someone. And that might be through like CBT or yeah. NLP, sort of more cognitive sort of stuff. Or Do you think there's lower back pain common for that? Because everyone seems to suffer from lower back. Is that you think stress, yeah. stress related? Uh, I wonder if that's gone up in the pandemic era and things and anxiety. I'd probably say so. Um, yeah. Mechanically from posture, definitely. Um, mm. And also people just, pain gets you down as well. So the correlation is that you, you, the back pain itself can also cause you, know, you to be yeah. depressive. I mean, we've all, you, know, you and I both have injuries when I did my well, shoulder. But you can't do things. You push you off going out, doing things and seeing people, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you get a lot more lethargic and then you probably don't see your friends as much and then you're a bit grouchy with your partner. Yeah. You know, all those different things, you're gonna start feeling a little bit low. So 
hopefully I can help get rid of that pain. But then if there's other elements as well, you might want to look into, and it could be to do with their nutrition. It could be to do with the hydration. It could be to do with, they have a load of stress going on. They might be going through bereavement or stress at work. I think it, to be holistic about it, you've got to address those issues to make that person a lot better. And that might be directing them to someone that can help them or doing the bits and bobs I can do as well. And even just talking to them is massive. I find that being in a clinic room with someone, a lot of my job is just chatting to people. I'm spending 30, 45 minutes with someone. You get to know them and you just get them to offload things. Yeah. And sometimes you do see that kind of correlation between they might have a tight muscle, you release that muscle, or they start talking about something. And there's actually an interesting book called The Body Keeps Score. I don't know mm. if you've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard the book. Yeah, I haven't actually read it. It was done by, uh, made by like psychothera- um, psychologists yeah. and psychiatrists. And it talks about like trauma in the body. And it's a very sort of evidence-based sort of book. Mm. And people keep it in different places, don't they? I've yeah. Heard that. yeah. And they, meant, they touch on a lot on like PTSD and things like that and how mm. people can kind of relive elements and, and or pain can trigger memories yeah. of things that we Yeah, some people through. argue that anxiety oftentimes is just a kind of like aftershock of childhood anxiety or something that's triggered you know particularly if it's a subject that actually shouldn't make you anxious in, as a grown-up yeah i think there's lots of triggers that you might come across it might be the fact that a teacher kind of embarrassed you in front of a class when you're younger yeah i know i had that yeah and you start blushing or something <laughs> well then you get painful show or whatever and then as an adult life you've probably forgotten about it and then someone says something it just triggers it or I mean, for me, for instance, like when I had my shoulder injury, my shoulder yeah. injury's had surgery. It's pretty much there now. However, if somebody touches my shoulder in a weird way, say that recreates a slight bit of impact that I had on in the injury, also my head goes straight back to that injury and I yeah. relive that. It's, it's an odd, odd, the body's an interesting thing in the mind. Yeah, the, the body and the mind, yeah. I mean, recently I've gone back to being called Teddy at work, but I was called Teddy growing up, actually. It's just an interesting, boring analogy for a lot of people. But then, because I was called Teddy Bear at school, I went to Ed at work and at secondary school. So a lot of people know me from secondary school and work call me Ed. But I was always called Teddy at sort of close friends mm-hmm. and things like that. But then it's like, actually you get to a point where you think, you know what, that's a bit silly to be worried about that. I'm not yeah. really called. But it's interesting how those, those things do linger in those sort of like uh, associations with it. In terms of people who need osteopathy, is it, is it pain triggered? Do you think people should think about that when they're what's normal what's not normal a certain amount of pain as well i'd say any 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 sort of pain should definitely be sort of investigated yeah you know, whether that's seeing a doctor or seeing myself or any of my colleagues at origin um you you don't ignore it i mean we see a lot of people that are like i said acute they've just you know they've been gardening they've twisted they've hurt their back or they've picked up their child and they felt something click you know they'll, yeah. they'll come to me um that's a really good thing for the come come see us and like we're trying how with that and assess it and give you the right sort of direction with it but also people that have got chronic pain. They might have had it for a long, 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 long time. Mm. And they just think, oh, I've got to live with this. Yeah, even if they think it's just situational, that they drive a lot, so they have to deal with it. Yeah. Do you think it's possible for you to, to not live like that? Completely. I, I say to a lot of people, it's better to be optimistic with these things. Like, why would you just accept to live with that? You know, mm. If that makes you feel low, it makes you feel down. You know, you are arguing with your partner because you're in pain all the time. You know, definitely do something about it. Like, come, come speak to someone like myself and... And then we see if there is something that we can do. We can look at the habits that you do, your posture. We can look at getting things realigned or relaxed. All those different things I think are so, so important because a lot of people I see, like the big, big one I see is someone's got arthritis. They're of a certain age, they've got wear and tear. Yeah. And they say, oh, I've got, I've got, I've got arthritis, so I've got to live with it. My gran had it, my mum had it, whatever it might exactly, be. Exactly, yeah. so I'm going to get it. And yeah. you think, okay, you may have it, but how can we manage that? You know, mm. a lot of people come to me, and they'll say, oh, I'm, I know I need to have a knee replacement, but I don't really want to have the surgery. Um, I can have it in a few years, but I don't want it now, but I'm in so much pain. 
So I might look at that and say, well, okay, if that's what we want to look at, we need to make sure we manage it as best as we can until you do need the surgery. Mm. So that would be things like making sure that the proprioception is there for the knee joint. So the ligaments are nice and steady, working on balance and coordination. Work on the muscle tension. If the muscles are too tight, they're going to compress the proprioception is kind of layman terms. It's just feel, being able to feel yeah. your own body, is it, in a sense? And, yeah, your brain's yeah. perception of kind of where your joints are in space. So an analogy I would use would be if you're... If you're on a night out, yeah. and <laughs> pro perception tends to go pretty bad, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, and if you were to go down a curve, you'd probably roll your ankle because you're not going to be able to correct yourself. Whereas sure. if you're completely sober, normally you go down that curve and you probably correct yourself and you wouldn't get an injury. Yeah. But that's the same thing. When you're injured, you know, or you've got arthritis in there, your pro perception won't be as good as it should be. Sure. So if you can work on that, work on stability, work on muscle tension, and make sure your hips, your ankles are working really well as well then you're going to be in a much better position, hopefully pain-free. What, what type of exercise is complementary to osteopathy or preventative in terms of injury prevention? Do you think it's vital that people exercise? What types of exercise? Resistance training, what would you recommend? I'd say everyone's, everyone's different, but resistance uh, is very, very good. Uh, so even like, especially for like, women's really, really good resistance. I think that old yeah. sort of thing that doing weights was, was not going to be good for you. You know, weights is fantastic for men and women. Yeah, and, and bone health as well. You talked oh, about, yeah. definitely for putting some, you know, comp, you know putting actual load bearing through bones, tendons, ligaments, strengthens them. Doesn't really wink, you know, will weaken them if you put excessive, but you need to put progressive load on them is amazing. But looking at different forms of activity, so you need to make sure you've got good cardiovascular fitness, you know, functional fitness as well. So I might have someone that comes to me and they say, I literally just garden. <laughs> and I'm not a professional athlete, but I've got this bad back and a bad shoulder, and I, and I, but I want to do something more about it, and I'm a bit unfit. Yeah. You know, where we are, we've got a fantastic gym where we can give them the right PTs, physios, where they can go and do functional exercises to support their goals. Yeah. They don't have to just be a professional athlete. No. And it, the, the physio and PT aspect of it is fascinating to me that you work with these people as well. You recommend people to other people. You said you might recommend people to your chiropractic friend in, in mm. Gloucester as well. When you started out with, with Dan, how foundational was that to your approach? Because we live in a competitive capitalist world, don't we, where people want to provide, I'm the answer, I'm going to solve your problems, particularly in the well-being space. It's kind of like a silver billet, a bullet kind of philosophy that mm. this is the thing you need. Was that something you started out with and thought, actually, we're going to have to give away some work potentially to increase our, our reputation long term? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, an argument that I hear quite a lot is, you know, wouldn't it be better if I, if for your, your business for me just to keep seeing you? Yeah. And I understand where they're coming from. <laughs> However, that's not how we run. And I think one of our pet hates, me and my brother, is giving a necessary treatment or getting people reliant on treatment. And yeah. so, for instance, if I can utilize the other amazing specialists and experts that we've got to hand yeah. to suit the, the client, you know, that's the best thing going forward because then we can then get better, people better quicker and they can also then be better for longer. And that might be just doing small adjustments such as having better functional fitness. So once they're okay with me, they're aligned, go make sure that they see a PT, get the nutrition sorted, mm. use our infrared sauna, work on, on reducing inflammation and also giving them tools. You know, we give an app to all our clients for free. It's got videos so they can go home and they can work on exercise. So they don't have to always come in. I think you've got to try and give people back their independence. So you have to fire a client, do you? I've heard that term banded around in certain arenas. Fire or discharge, yeah. 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 I yeah. think it's, it's a great feeling when you've got someone that's come in, with a, in a, you know, they're a bad way, and you've been there with them on that journey that might be, you know, it might be two, three sessions, it might be six, but you've seen a change in that person mentally as well. Like you've actually restored that person's independence again yeah. and given them enjoyment. You know, if you, like, like you said, when you, when you couldn't play football for a while, 
Mm. Like you, you want to restore that big time. You yeah. Know? Otherwise, your wife's going to be really annoyed because you're grumpy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did my meniscus last year, and you, yeah, for a few weeks you're on crutches, and then I did my ankle as well at the same time, and it was. Uh, yeah, and then slowly you're coming back, but you can't do any type of exercise that's strenuous in terms of jogging or anything like that. You have to really try and be inventive about how you get yourself mm. a little bit of a physical buzz. And I think it's trying to restore that mentally for people. If I can, if well, where we are, if we can restore that to people quickly and for a long term, that that's a great feeling, very rewarding. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that the, inter, the interplay with other professionals, how uh, educational has that been? How pleasing has that been to work with personal trainers, to work with physiotherapists? And other, presumably, you know, you might refer to other sort of medical practitioners in, in certain instances as well. Yeah, I think it's, I think we're quite uniquely situated. There is quite a lot of, in the industry, there's a lot of people that will compete for mm. clients. So you might have a multidisciplinary practice that don't talk to each other. And I think that's quite a toxic environment to be in because at the end of the day, people are coming to us to try and get help. Yeah. And if we've got other people that can help them, and I can refer them because I'm not trying to compete with my other practitioners that that client comes out going, wow, that's an amazing experience. Like I feel so much better for that because I was actually given what I needed rather than what they wanted to give me. Yes. And that's, I think, what we try best to do. It's all about restoring health and wellness, really. And your long-term reputation, that's the, the long game, isn't it? You're playing, I suppose, if you're telling clients to go to a personal trainer rather than mm. you, then that does sow a seed that they'll pass on to other people in terms of if a friend of theirs needs an osteopath. Yeah, I hope so. If you, if you give bad treatment and bad advice... You, you might get away with it for a few weeks, maybe a year. Hmm. But people will find out very quickly. And I think if you've got a reputation that you do give quality, you know, quality, yeah. you give very, very honest opinions and honest treatment, I think you'll, hopefully, you'll be set for a much better outcome, really. It's like a mechanic, isn't it? You know, you always go to a garage once or twice. And you're like, I'm not sure if this is actually fixing my car. There seems to be more problems. And it's a bit like you're, you're a mechanic of the body. So I guess it's a crossover there, yeah. Definitely. Um, you know, if you... I'll also, we'll also explain what's going on with the car. So, you know, the car, yeah. well, your body. Um, we won't just say you need a new camshaft and you actually don't need one. So we'll, we won't give unnecessary treatment. But that's the thing. You've got someone coming to you in pain and that person's in quite a vulnerable position. Mm. And I think if you, it'd be quite easy for you to start, you know, suggesting things for that person that they may not need. And that's a really, that's an awful position to do. And people do it. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's your duty and like it's, it's something that you should do is try and make people feel better and give them what they need, you know, not just what you want. Yeah, you, you mentioned diet in there as well. I just wanted to quickly ask you about that because I know that, again, reading up on uh, Dr. Andrew Taylor Still from the 19th century, he was talking about diet back then in sort of mm. the Civil War era in America, which was, was, was very forward thinking. How important is diet to our musculoskeletal health in terms of feeling pain and sensitivities and, and do you have any generic dietary advice or, or things to avoid things that maybe cause consistently problems for people in terms of that how they feel well there's a lot of things going out at the moment with like like what's it called zoe where they can do like your you know, your glucose tests and things and people yeah. are starting to see the, how their body responds as each person is different so some foods may be more inflammatory than others mm. you also might have a deficiency in some things like B12 can obviously give you quite yeah. a lot of fatigue and things like that. So I get people coming in that have got B12 deficiency. Do you see that, that in a, vegan clients particularly or just across the range? Sometimes it can be across. You know, yeah. Sometimes there's people that come see me um, and they, they eat meat. They've got a kind of very balanced diet. But for some reason, they haven't. I had a guy recently who um, is a very healthy guy. Mm. He's been going through a load of stress. Yeah. He went, and saw, he went down to London and he saw someone because it's just been going for so long. He's like, why have I suddenly got this fatigue? 
Um, and he's been, you know, very high standing in like business. So he's used to stress and things, but this new stress has been horrendous. And they think that the stress uh, triggered his B12 deficiency. Wow. So he's now had to like inject some things. Because B12 is vital for your sort of neuromuscular yeah, contraction and everything. Yeah. It can have a lot of range of different symptoms. So it can, it, you know, sometimes you might think something else, but actually it's very important to look at any deficiencies you might have. But also that affects things like, you know, college, you know, if you've got a deficiency like the collagen, you might have more ligament tendon injuries. Hydration is huge. You need to make sure that you're hydrated. It's all to do with almost like hormone release as well. Yeah. The hormone obviously regulates like how your body heals, release of testosterone, you know, estrogen, cortisol, all those different things. You've got to make sure that you're as well as you can really and eating the right things for your body. Yeah. Do you think things like daylight are important for body's health? Yeah, definitely. They're saying, I mean, probably us at the moment, it's probably yeah. not great. So you probably need <laughs> the longest winter, longest winter ever, isn't it? It's oh, like yeah, early cold March again. Now. Yeah. So yeah, definitely important. All these different things I think people need to need to sort of look at. Um, there's so many elements to having a, a healthy body and a healthy, healthy life, really, I suppose. And yeah, making sure you've got you know, good sunlight, good mental health, good diet, good hydration, exercise, good social, all these different elements that all feed into it. We talked about your bravery. I just wanted to quickly talk about the bravery in growing this business with your brother Dan because tell me where you were a few years ago and where you are now because you were telling me before we started recording and it's a brilliant story of, of expansion but also I think uh, a boldness to it, a, a courage to, to expand where you have and now have your fantastic facility out in Elkston, Origin Health. Oh, well, it was quite a scary time. I mean, we we both worked in Cheltenham and worked at a fantastic clinic within Cheltenham yeah. um, where we were sort of renting room and we built up a really good client base and then we decided to bite the bullet and start our own business. Who was your receptionist kept... at this time? That was my mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Bev. yeah. so yeah, she's been fantastic and she keeps us in line. You know, there's not many receptionists that make you lunch, no. which is great. Um, but it was just the three of us. We set up a business in Lecampton, Cheltenham, and it was called Body Dynamics. And that was a fantastic business. I loved it. And that's when we became the osteopaths for Gloucester Rugby Team. Yeah. So we were seeing the team. Um, and How did that come about, by the way? We essentially, we, uh, my brother had a client who was working on the board yeah. and my brother was saying about our history and our approach to treatment and this guy essentially said, right, I think you guys would be a good suit for the, for the, yeah. for the team. Um, we like the way you approach things and they haven't really had osteopaths before. No. So it took us about 18 months, but we finally got a meeting with um, the head of medical there. He's a fantastic guy, head physio, amazing, amazing guy called Owen Power. Mm. Really, really, really knowledgeable guy. And anyway, he, he took us on and we started working with them. They're based up at Hartbury at the time. And during that time, we also met a lot of the players. And two of the players we met were Mark Atkinson and Owen Williams. Yeah. And they were interested. They said, guys, if you ever want to go bigger, like, let us know. Like, we'd happily want to invest in you guys and that'd be really wow. good. So anyway, we sort of put that in the back of our mind and we carried on. And um, about two years later, we... The business was going well and we said right let's look at a bigger premises let's look to expand we want to add like yoga pilates recovery rooms we want to put physios in there we want a gym and there was nothing around nothing around at all. what year was this what time that was back in we started looking about 2018 okay and then 2019 we <laughs> found a place and it was up in Alkstone in Chatham so sort of just up to as you as you head out up up towards Sirencester Way. It's kind of village. Is it midway? It's almost midway between Cheltenham and Sirencester, isn't it? So yeah, just past Birdlip, that yeah. kind of. And yeah. it's essentially an old farm courtyard. And the landlord around there has converted into this incredible, amazing, diverse business park called like Cotswold Stone. There's a cafe up there. Yeah. There's a butcher's, even a bar. You've got a co-working space. We've got our gym up there, the members' gym, and we've got our clinic there. And a beautiful setting. Um, but we decided to do all this towards the end of COVID. And that was what I call squeaky bum time. How, how were you able to treat people in, during COVID with all the restrictions? 
it was difficult. We had to close for three months. Mm. Um, luckily, because we're regulated, we're able to get back with certain procedures, you know, aprons, masks, um, you know, different protocols of like yeah. clinic cleaning, limit the amount of people could come in. Um, at that time, we had a small car park. And we only had sort of, we'd have one person in for me and my brother at a time, so there was no crossover. So we really limited ourselves for about, for about a year. Yeah. And we were still trying to develop the new one. And so there was towards the end of COVID when the restrictions were alleviated, we were able to start doing more treatment at the other place as well, at, at Alkson, which is now called Origin Health. Um, but we had to kind of be slowly, slowly with that. That must have been hard though, must it? The anxiety around that, because it seemed to drag on forever, the, the restrictions. You're never quite sure when it was going to be over. Yeah, it was a very scary time, to be honest. I think it was for everyone. Um, mm. It was, you don't know where your business is going to be. Yeah. Uh, you don't know um, where, you know, where, what's going to happen to your patients. You, you're worried about your patients. Um, we couldn't work hands-on when, when we had to close down. So, and because we were furloughed, we couldn't earn any yeah, you money. Can't do, you can't do phone consultations as an osteopath. Well, we, no, not really. It doesn't really work. And we, well, we did... Um, I suppose you could do some sort of diagnosis maybe, but not certainly the treatment. Yeah, because we, we couldn't, we were taking furlough. So we, uh, we volunteered essentially, actually. We did a sort of a, a help for NHS so mm. during COVID. So we did free, free online consultations with our clients that need help. And then we just asked them to donate to the NHS um, during COVID. Oh, good for you. Um, so, you know, we couldn't make money, but the NHS could. So yeah. you might as well help them out doing a great job. So when we then were able to get back, it was, it was so nice to be able to actually treat people face to face again and actually make a difference. Yes. Um, but, but financially as well, you're putting a lot of your money into it. Were there other investors as well? That must have brought in a level of anxiety. Huge. Yeah. And it was interesting. You know, we spent a lot of money trying to make the business the way it is. And um, we invested in the structure of the, business, of the building. Um, we've done a bespoke clinic now. Mm, but it's then, amazing. It's a beautiful place. People should go up and see it, definitely. And the gym is fantastic. I mean, having a gym, that must be lovely to go in that gym on your own sometimes, just have a workout. Yes, yeah, it's fantastic, to be fair. We've, we've created it so it's a very exclusive gym. So you're only allowed, we've got an app where you book. So you have six people in every hour. Yeah. You can do multiple times, but you then match your slot sort of thing. Um, and it's fully kitted out, state-of-the-art, great sound system in there, great kit. And um, it's just a lovely place to be. And then you've got our clinic, which we've got an infrared sauna. We've got yoga Pilates studio. We've got the sports therapy. We've got nutrition. We've got reflexologist. We've got osteopathy, physio. There's a lot going on there. So hopefully we're trying to develop a, a center of excellence for what we want to do. And it's, I'm glad that we're out of COVID now because yes. it's all running really well. It looks fantastic. We'll be able to give really, really good service and treatment. And yeah, it'd be great to get people up there to have a look. How does it work with investors when they back you? Do you have to promise them a certain return or is it just kind of... Yeah, I mean, they have to believe in you, and how does it? How's, what's the dynamic like? The nice thing is, I think we want to have investors that believe in the the future of the business. It's yeah. not looking for the short term. It's looking to kind of essentially change the way that healthcare is sort of in the country. The NHS is fantastic, but it's so so under pressure. Mm. So I think it'd be really good to have more clinics like ours that essentially have a multidisciplinary effect, where people work together to try and help the client. Um, and it was having investors that actually believe in that that view did that embolden you in a way do you think the fact that they saw it kind of reinforced your own confidence yeah i think you know me, you know my brother and i we talk a lot about it and we believe in what we do but it's very nice when you actually talk to people and they say actually yeah that sounds like a great idea and i really believe in that too and mm -hmm. they want to be on board with that that's that's something that fills us with a lot more confidence and they share the same passion as we do so yeah it's been fantastic oh, it's, it's a beautiful beautiful place up there as well what advice would you give to someone then who starts a business, goes okay, what is that decision process like to expand? Because it could be quite comfortable. Presumably you could have stayed in Cheltenham, you're still mm. turning over, you could have 
you know, had a, a nice lifestyle, I presume, if you're, if you're making decent income. What, what, what advice would you give to people? What's the, the catalyst for ex- expansion? And do you see that being an ever-going process for you, or do you think you will establish a, a setup at Elkston that you're content with? Interesting question. I'd say any advice for someone that thinks of doing their own business would say, if you believe in it wholeheartedly yeah. and you want to work hard at it, just do it. Like it sounds really easy for me to say, <laughs> but I I had a great I had a great mentor who I got in contact who essentially I met through treating actually. Yeah. And I think if you've got a few people around you that believe in you, a few people that can kind of give you a bit of insight that maybe have worked in business, because you won't have all the ideas, you don't have all the information or the answers. I was trained to be a very good technician mm-hmm. as an osteopath. I wasn't taught to be a businessman. However, I've had to learn on the road with my brother how to learn and it's asking questions, trying to ask for advice, trying to give you the best thing and believing in your core values of your business. Yeah. Don't don't sacrifice them for anything. And that's honest integrity, ethics. You know, if you hold on to that, I think you can create it and you build your reputation and your business will succeed. Make good choices. Don't spend too much too early on. <laughs> build with it. Look after your clients, they're the most important thing. How much time and energy did it take? Were we able to switch off in the evenings? What were the days days and nights like when you're trying to build this project? You never switch off. You never no. switch off. I still don't know. I, yeah. I think I know my wife a lot. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's completely, it, it consumes you. And if that's why I think if you have your own business, you need to find something that really, really, it's your get, you, that's why you get up in the morning. Yeah. And, you know, serving your customers is, is such a good thing. You get such a buzz from it and believe in what you do. And what we've done with Origin is, like you just asked, it was, we've got an amazing clinic now. We'd love to expand within Elkstone Studios up, at the, up, uh, up in Elkstone. But we'd also look to maybe trying to roll that out across the country. That's okay. our, that would be the big dream. Is it, is it a template? Yeah, yeah, I think if we can get a blueprint that we can replicate around, that'd be the most amazing thing because we can help more people. Yeah. Um, so the idea is someone could come to a facility where they might visit an osteopath for a diagnosis. You might put your hands on them, do an MRI scan, whatever it might be, and sort of determine that actually their best course would be speaking to the physio and actually talking to them, the diet's not great, maybe speak to nutritionists, something like that. That's exactly, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, if we can have it, so it's almost like a one-stop shop. So wherever you go, you can go there, and you know you're gonna get expert, very honest care, mm. and you're gonna get, you're gonna get better. Um, and there's a lot of people that work together, and again, that not competing with each other. So it's just, it's a selection of really, really highly skilled people that work for your interest, not for their own. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's brilliant. And it's funny when people work in health and fitness, isn't it? Because there's always that temptation because we always speak to personal trainers who don't get time to do their own sessions anymore. It's how do you find that balance between being full on and, and then trying to live the healthy principles that you that you obviously are espousing to your clients? It's hard. It's definitely <laughs> hard. And it's something that I you know, am keen to, I always try and strive to make sure I make time for, you know, I, I do ice baths every morning. I love that. Wow. Um, it's not easy, but I love it. It helps Out, me. Outdoor ice bath. Outdoor, yeah. yeah. I've got one of those uh, Lumis. Um, that I got, got at Christmas. I've been doing cold showers for what, five years what now. What temperature is the ice bath? Uh, normally around about three, two or three. So you haven't quite got the ice in it, but it's... So, uh, some, of these, some of these long winters, it's, well, yeah. this long winter, some mornings have been pretty bad, Oof. but it's, uh, I, that's what I find really helps me. What does that, what does that give you? Is it I the feel of your muscles or the, the dopamine in your brain? What's the big A bit thing? of both, I think. It helps, yeah. for me, like my shoulders, I, I struggle with uh, shoulder pain most of the time because I've had extensive surgery on it, so it helps with me with inflammation. It helps me just kind of focus, a bit of mindfulness. Mm. Um, it helps me be more resilient in the day, and I sort of think, right, I've started my day on a win, 
So that's one thing that I use, one technique I use, but also then exercise massively. It's important that I stay fit and healthy and strong for my, my, my job, but also for my head. So I'm a, I've got a physical job anyway, yeah. but it's very good making sure I make time to go in the gym. You know, I'm, I'm lucky I've got a gym at work now. Brilliant. Which is lovely. So <laughs> I try is. and go in there before anyone goes in there. What, what, what's, your, what, what's your main thing you do in the gym? Are you doing sort of heavy weights? What, what's your? I, I do love all my sort of. I like the Olympic lifting, but I yeah. like doing functional. I try not to go so heavy today um, as I used to. I don't need to. But like with my rowing, I need to make sure that I, I'm good on the ergo. It's on yeah. the concept too. A, a selection. I do quite like sort of hit hit sort of hit kind of workouts as well. Circuit training. Yeah. I love that. So in terms of repetitions, are you doing like three to five reps, that kind of strength stuff, or are you doing sort of? Eight, eight to 12. I tend, normally I do sort of eight to 12. Yeah. Um, but then when I'm going through a phase where I'm trying to work on more strength, I'll probably lower the reps and yeah. do a bit more heavy. Yeah. So if I'm doing kind of more like deadlifts and, and squats and things, more pre-season for rowing, I'll probably do more heavy, heavy sort of stuff. But I mean, you could probably um, advise me better now that you're training to be a <laughs> Well, PT, yeah, my personal training has <laughs> been quite elongated over, over lockdown, etc. But yeah, hopefully I get my level three personal training. But I've, I've had a lot more sort of experienced personal trainers and knowledgeable people on the podcast. It's always fascinating to, to hear people's approaches and just thinking the psychology of rowing actually must be great for you to get away from the, the busyness of, of literally the business. is Because when you're rowing with, with other guys, you can't sort of slack off or think about this or that. You're totally immersed in it, which is what I think a lot of us miss from sport. Yeah, uh, rowing is a bit of an eye-opener. Um, you can't hide. No. Um, but weirdly, it's like any sort of um, sport. You don't think about work. You don't think about any of the old, you know, any issues you've got. You're just in the moment. And I think that's one of the best forms of mindfulness, really, is sport. I've always, yeah. I've always loved sport. And I think it's, that's been my outlet to kind of... I, I don't know what I'd do without sport, to be honest. It's like mindful movement, isn't it? I mean, I find meditation's okay, but I do find that in terms of completely zoning in on the here and now, sport's yeah. hard to beat. If you're chasing a ball or, or like you say, you've got people screaming, you're trying to get a deadline in rowing, you can't really think about that yeah. bill you have to pay or the client that's going to be coming tomorrow. I think it's like any sports person, you're trying to get that state of flow, aren't you? I yeah. bet you had it when you are playing football. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure people watching me would have still thought that, but you're certainly definitely... As long as you it. thought yeah, it. Yeah, 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 exactly. I definitely wasn't thinking about too many things outside of it. I think with rowing, it's it's good. I can all I think about is you know going from A to B as quickly as I can, getting that next stroke in on the blades, and not not screwing it up for my mates and getting shouted at by my brother behind me. So yeah, I love it. Well, Ben, it's been a brilliant story, and I think you know congratulations to you building a fantastic facility up there at Elkstone with with Dan. And finally, where where do people go to find out more about it? Is it originhealth.co.uk? It says uh, originhealthgroup.com, yeah. and we're based in Elkstone, uh, Cheltenham. And you can find us on our website, yeah, originhealthgroup.com. And yeah, check it out. Well, ben, wish you the best of luck. I might Thank have to come see you about my lower back pain at some point. Look forward to it. <laughs> Good guy, Ben Wilkinson, as I said. I went up there and uh, got some clicks done on my neck and hip. And it was really cool, actually, to have a consultation with Ben. Really appreciate that. And I'm going to check out the infrared sauna they have up there, too, at the Origin Health Clinic. So look up Origin Health Clinic Elkstone if you are in the area here in the west of England and interested in having a go with the, with the osteopathic treatment. I think it's, it's, in, it's part of a holistic approach. It's fascinating. I love the attitude of, of Ben and Dan, his brother, interacting with physiotherapists, personal trainers, all part of that picture, and also want to get a, a private general practitioner, doctor, on site as well. So it's a kind of multifaceted approach to health and well-being, which is really cool. Not that kind of silver bullet, I have the one and only answer approach so thanks for ben for coming on to the podcast if you enjoyed that please rate it on itunes spotify wherever you're listening or just tell a friend pass it on really appreciate it any reviews as well obviously on any of those platforms it means a lot 
but thank you first and foremost for, for listening. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Remember, cytoplan.co.uk. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk and a discount code of TED10, T-E-D, all capital letters, numbers one zero, will get you 10% off all full price shoes at Herring Shoes, over 20 pounds. And uh, that's uh, pretty much it for the podcast. Maybe just steer you in the direction as well of Attic Box Audio, which is where I sit down with members of the public to record their life story. It's been a powerful experience actually whenever I've done it. And uh, I think what's true and holds true throughout it is the sense that everyone has a captivating story, which is particularly captivating and meaningful to their loved ones. So if you want to find out more about that, head to atticboxaudio.co.uk or easier to find it maybe through our home website, drapermedia.co.uk, where my wife Carla and I coordinate all our projects. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. Have a great week and goodbye for now.